The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So it'd be lovely to hear, um, what was that like? Um, what did you discover in the process of this exploration? And also, another question is, why are you here? What's, what did you discover about your motivation for being here today? Somebody, somebody. <laughs> Thanks, Kristen. And say your name, if you would, please. My name is Charlie. Charlie. Can you guys hear through the microphone? Yeah, you can actually turn it up just a tad, maybe. Yeah, thanks. Uh, my name's Charlie. Uh, I think the mindfulness of uh, listening and speaking exercise is absolutely fascinating, and it's something that uh, I've been trying to do. I have found that in uh, you know really high pressure situations where you know the content I'm trying to listen to is actually intellectually sophisticated, yeah, um, or in speaking situations when it's very important that I observe the reactions of mm -hmm. people to what I'm saying, mm -hmm. then in those cases, actually my, you know, kind of performance of those tasks can go down a little bit if I'm diverting attention away uh -huh. from the task at hand to the kind of like meta attention uh -huh. of how well I'm paying attention to my own internal processes. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm wondering if you think that there are certain situations where mindfulness of listening and speaking is um, unproductive yeah, because yeah. it takes away yeah energy from the mind in cases right. where the mind is needs yeah. to be fully engaged. Yeah, that's a great question, Charlie. And, and what I would say is that, um, like anything else, it's a practice. Because anything that you start doing at first, there are a lot of research studies showing that it takes a lot more um, energy and, and uh, attention and a lot more usage of, of sugar in the brain when something is new is just harder. And later, when it becomes a habit, the power of habit is amazing. Then it just happens on its own. It goes on autopilot. So what you're describing to me is, is exactly that. Because we are so used to doing, our mind has a certain habit, and now you're trying to change it. And of course, it's taking more energy away from this complicated task at hand. And I have a feeling that when it becomes a habit for your mind, in the easier situations, um, when it takes less bandwidth, then in the more difficult ones, it will be easier also. Yeah, right behind you. Um, so in our group, uh, Kristen shared something about one of her volunteer experiences. And just hearing about it, I had so many tears. And it was just this um, sharing of people who are dedicated to what they're doing. And there's just so much compassion. And it's just this beautiful, like, I just felt it, of how much care what they did really, you know, like they embodied and exuded that. Um, and as she's just sharing, I just felt that. And what I shared too was just about feeling um, my experiences that's shaped me is about feeling connected mm -hmm. to nature or mm -hmm. everyone through my practices of mindfulness. And um, yeah, it was just really incredible to also witness someone sharing it. And then it was also part of my own experience yeah. together too. Yeah, so it's a powerful exercise for you both to hold witness and, and to be moved. Mm -hmm. uh, and also what, what came up for you to, 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 you already know that for you it is a matter of connection, but also, also hearing that and feeling that connection in the community as you talked about, um, about it. Great, mm -hmm. thank you. Yeah, what else? Yeah, please. Uh, my name is Sandra. Um, we, we share in my group three very different experiences. And so we're so different, but we are so much the same. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's amazing to see. It's yeah. just, yeah, how just human. <laughs> very nice. It was very nice. Yeah, lovely. Thank you for that. And, and it is, um, yeah, we are so different in so many ways and so much the same. And that 
that theme of connection that you, you were just bringing up also, that could, to be moved by someone else's story that might be so different, but also, ah, it, it touches, yeah. yeah. Thank you. What else, what else did you experience in this exercise? What did you realize? Um, and, and why are you here today? That's another theme that would be interesting to hear. What would you like to learn, gain? I'm Leonard, and uh, my first time here. Welcome. I have, I have been listening though for a couple of years, so it's um, very uh, grateful to be here. And uh, you know, the two gentlemen I was sitting with, it was it was great to hear the the commonalities that we have, even though we're very different. We share a lot of the same feelings, and um, so that was powerful. Um, but then, so why I'm here today is to develop a better understanding of myself and then how, how to show up uh, more with love and compassion more in my life. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, and connect with people in a more meaningful way because um, ultimately I think that's what's going to give me what I want to carry out my legacy is showing up with more love and compassion. I think that's, I think I'm on the right track. Yeah, it sounds like it. And, and I'll go off on a limb for a moment and say the, the experience that you had today coming in and, and sharing with um, the other two gentlemen that you, th did it feel a, like you were connecting from that place of compassion and love? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so can you f feel into what, what, was, what was it about this interaction that really captured or, or um, is, is a way that you want to show up in the world and to, yeah. I think practicing mindfulness while listening gives you a better opportunity to connect with people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, you know, that, that is really the platform for, for cultivating that connection. But you have to practice it, obviously. Yeah. But this, having this opportunity to really slow down and listen to the other person is yeah. valuable. So. I, you nailed it. Yeah. I think when, we, we're, when we're really present and we're really listening, um, and for me, it's like listening with your whole body. You're not just listening with your head. A lot of times we're just listening with our head. And in, in, even with that, there's so many other thoughts. You know, we're planning our lunch or dinner or what movie we're going to see while the other person is talking. But actually being there, it's the kindest, it's the, the, the most loving gift we can give people is our presence, is our full presence, is our time. And that can be magical. It, it's... Um, so what you just said, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Glad you're here today. Yay, after two years, yay. Awesome. Welcome. What else? What else? Oh, yeah, Shankar. Uh, my name is Shankar, and um, I'm here partly because I saw your name, Nikki, this morning, and uh, we haven't met in almost four years. Um, and uh, partly because uh, uh, there is one thing I'm still working on, uh, I was in the industry in the in the valley for more than 25 years, and I've been volunteering uh, pretty much almost a year uh, in, in India and here. And um, what I realized is that uh, with all these meditation practices and compassion practices, I still have a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. Number one, in listening, mm -hmm. and number two, uh, I'm pretty good at when I meet people new or know them for a short while. My challenges seem to be that I tend to dwell on what's not working, either in an organization with people or time. Ninety-nine percent may be good, but I start looking at that one person that I don't like and I dwell on it. And mm -hmm. um, one and more and realizing that I'm no better. Mm -hmm. I have negativity, I have my arrogance, I have my ego and all that. So what am I pointing fingers to others at? And this realization has been happening after a very long time. And there's a lot of grief and regret. Mm. But now I'm going beyond grief and regret to realize that we are no different from each other. And I should have tolerance, even 
uh, when it's done publicly, say, at the presidential level, why do I lose patience with people? Mm -hmm. Why don't I see where they're coming from? Great. Thank you so much, Shankar. Thanks for bringing that to the room. It's, um, it's the message of both humility. It's really, this, this work takes a lot of humility, um, as well as common humanity. A lot of common humanity that, that others are just like me, just like us, just like me. And um, really appreciate you bringing this in. And this afternoon would is the time that I've set aside for us to work with challenges, uh, challenging people we have challenges with. Usually it's people, uh, because organizations are made up of people, right? So I've said the afternoon is the time we're going to be really working and experimenting, taking on experientially working with, with challenges. So thanks so much for bringing that into the room. Yeah, glad you're here today. Good to see you. Yeah. Any other comments, realizations, why you're here today? Yeah, please. I'll do, I'm Kristen. I'll do a why I'm here today. Yeah. So one of the things I just notice is I feel like um, some people have such a strong calling. And I, I do feel that there are things that are important to me, but I feel like, like in my career choice, I'm just doing a thing that's interesting to me, but not something that I feel is really a calling and then you know I have all these side things that are more important to me so I, I kind of just looking at like is that okay because mm -hmm. I feel like maybe that's not okay mm -hmm. and then and and then um, how can I make that how can I embody that and I feel like there's something about like maybe I'm not gonna change the right. world like right. I'm not gonna be the next Gandhi I'm pretty sure but um, Maybe like who I'm being at work, yeah. you know, Great. Is, can make a big impact. Yeah. And I do remember like the times when people have shown me kindness, especially kind of in the pressure of the deadline-driven work, yeah. has been very, you know, those yeah. moments have been very um, life-changing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for bringing that in. I was going to talk more about that, but I'm going to take this opportunity to, to say one thing about it. Absolutely. Um, I remember also a little story um, some time ago. I, I, um, so, um, I went to, to have blood drawn, and, and I thought this has happened to me with actually different, different uh, phlebo phlebotomists, yeah, who would draw the blood. And, and one time especially, I was really hurting and, and in a very, very physically difficult situation. And then went, and this person was just so kind. They were, it was like a an angel. And they drew my blood, which I hate, by the way. It's just very unpleasant for me. And with the kindness, just the kindness they showered with me with, and the gentleness, and their patience, it was just... <gasps> it, it, it just changed my day. It was, it was a blessing. It was a blessing. And they were not Gandhi. They were doing their job. They're 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 making a living, um, but the, it just changed my day. And and experience, experiences I've had like that with people who are just quote unquote just doing their job, but the, the effect they have on my happiness, and then the effect I'll have when I'm happier and I feel I've been touched by grace and, and beauty and love and compassion, and the effect I will have on the next person I meet, etc., etc., just reverberates. So, so in in um, in um, Zen, the saying goes: Before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. It's, you still chop wood, you carry water, but it looks different from the inside. You do it differently. Even if it looks the same from the outside, perhaps. You're still ch chopping wood, carrying water, you're being, you know, phlebotomist, or you're being an, an engineer in Silicon Valley. You might look the same, but it just feels different from the inside. Yeah, thanks so much for bringing that in. So we'll talk more about that, but I think this is a really good time to take a break. Uh, let's take a 15-minute break. It'll be a talking break. Feel free to 
to meet, to others, and explore and talk. And, and let's be back at 11.15. Great, thank you. So, continuing our exploration, I'm going to spend uh, a little time um, we're talking about the concept of right livelihood, what it is and, and how it's described in, in Buddhist teachings. And then um, we'll do one more exercise, I hope, if we have time for it, before we break for lunch. So, so as a part of the, the Eightfold Path, uh, which is the... Um, basically Buddhist formula for practicing. Um, one of the factors, one of the eight factors is um, right livelihood. So what is, what is right livelihood or wise, wise livelihood? So wise livelihood um, is described in different ways. Um, in um, in the sutta, the numerical discourses, it's um, uh, and and this is from the book, the Buddha's teachings on prosperity, by uh, Bhikkhu Bas Nagoda Rahula. There is a quote from the numerical discourses, which is the layperson's objective is to live a long and dignified life with the wealth obtained through rightful means. So that's a pretty open description, right? It's a pretty, pretty permissive, as long as you, uh, you live a long, dignified life with wealth obtained through rightful means, whatever rightful means is. You haven't stolen it. It's, um, and specifically, there are five... five um, Let's see, where do I find this? There, there are five, uh, th- right, there, uh, from the uh, Vanija Sutta. Uh, the Buddha said there are five types of businesses that you're not supposed to engage in. And then, other than that, it, it's open. So what are the five type of businesses? Businesses in weapons. Businesses dealing in human beings, like human trafficking, etc. Businesses in meat, so being a butcher, for example, killing, basically killing living beings. Um, Businesses in intoxicants, things that cloud the mind. It has to do with the five precepts. And the last one is business in poison. So, So weapons, human beings, meat, intoxicants, and poison. So those are the five types of business that are not right livelihood. But other than that, livelihoods that are um, through, through wholesome means. And, and there are a few more descriptions I want to share with you just to kind of open. And, and I loved what Kristen brought up earlier. It's not just about being the next Gandhi, etc., um, but about the, the acts that we do, the way that we serve the world um, by making a living, actually making a living and earning a, a earning money to support yourself and your family is wholesome. I think that's a wholesome act. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a Buddhist, you know, a Buddhist thing that you do or becoming a Buddhist teacher or whatever it is in order for it to be right livelihood. I want to offer a couple of other definitions f- uh, for you to sit with. Um, one is a definition of um, definition that was outlined by um, credit goes to Marty uh, Bedeau, who is the founder of Right Livelihoods, and lively is is spelled L-I-V-E-L-Y, livelihoods. It's kind of creative. So she details each um, she uh, as the middle path, the right livelihood. She says means to avoid any life that brings shame. It embodies the other seven steps along the eightfold path to enlightenment. 
right thought involves love and devotion through work. So what she's, she's going to do now is she's going to take the other seven factors, seven, um, uh, seven steps uh, of the Eightfold Path, and she's going to uh, basically uh, translate them or, or make them uh, relevant to work. And I think it's a nice, um, nice interpretation. So here we go. So right thought or um, wise understanding is the way we relate to it. Right thought involves love and devotion through work. That's a nice way to think about it. And then she has right mindfulness, or which is, an- which is another factor, which is another step of the Eightfold Path, means consciously choosing your path and your work. So it's an aspect of conscientiousness, or uh, being conscious, choosing your path and your work. And I'd like to actually extend, extend that meaning. I think it's, it's not just generally consciousness in being conscious in choosing your path and your work in general, but also bringing that mindfulness to, to every moment, to every day of your practice, being mindful of, of as, as we talked about earlier today, in practicing mindfulness of the body when listening and when speaking. Uh, that's a way to, to being fully present with the, with the people you're interacting with at work. Um, and also being aware of the, the impact that your work has on other people. So again, it becomes, if, if you realize that the work yet that you're doing is going to be harming a lot of people, is this the right work for you? Or if, if this is a work that is actually, is going to be of benefit, is benefiting other people. Okay, really taking delight in, um, in the effect that you're going to have on other people. Or if it's interactive, uh, the effect that you are having in another person in real time, or if, if for, for many people in Silicon Valley, realizing that what you're working on has downstream effects on hundreds and thousands and perhaps even millions of people. Uh, so really uh, f- being aware, being conscious of, of the choices that we're making. So she continues, right understanding evolves from consciously choosing work that is best, that is the best of ourselves and having knowledge of our values. And I like this. Again, um, the idea of right understanding, to bring in our, our values. How is your work expressing your values? How is what you're doing in the world aligned with the values that you have? I actually have an exercise. If we have time today, we'll, we'll do it together. But it's, it's an exercise of of exploring values, and there are a bunch of values on this sheet that we can work through and exercise, and just really getting a sense of what is important to you, what, what are the, your values um, as a human being, and how does your work explore or express the values that you stand for. Um, so maybe we'll do, how many people might be interested in, in this exercise? Just a show of hands. A bunch of people. Okay, we might do that, or we'll see. See how our time, how our time evolves together today. Um, Right speech, so she continues with another factor. Right speech implies compassion relating to others through our work. And that is so important, practicing right speech at work. What is right speech at work? A speech that is timely, that is kind, it's not harsh, and it could be could, and, and it's truthful, and that's another important aspect of right speech. So bringing different aspects of different considerations of wise speech to the work environment. Um, I actually, at some point, I came up with, with an acronym. Um, so let's see if I still remember the acronym. Uh, that's funny. Uh, BBG. I don't funny. Don't you come up with these acronyms and then you forget them and the whole thing is gone. Huh? Anyway, so it's an acronym for for uh, there are five aspects of why speech. Um, BB, let's see, BBGK. Okay, so beneficial. So uh, why speech is beneficial is of benefit to the person that um, that you you are speaking, um, and it's um, and it's timely. So it's the right time. So if the person has just 
um, the, the person you're talking with has just been, um, I don't know, you, you realize has just gone through a divorce perhaps, um, maybe that day is not the best day to tell them that for the past month uh, you've been really upset with them and they've been, you know, causing problems. Maybe that day is not the best day. Maybe that's not the best time to have that honest, truthful, beneficial, but not timely conversation. Um, another aspect of his truthfulness, and that's a very important aspect of wise speech, to... Um, to see the temptation if we are tempted to say white lies at work. Oh, I, I, oh, I didn't do that. I didn't break the code. I didn't write that piece of code. I didn't do that. Oh, I did test it. Just see the temptation. What if, what if, what if we were absolutely honest? What, it's, it's so much more important, I think, for us to be able to look, at, look in the mirror and appreciate and trust the person we see than to get away with a white lie. Um, I think self-respect is so much more important than a white lie. So, why speech? Bringing why speech to work. Um, practicing that. Continuing. Right concentration, she says. Right concentration means doing work with care and intense awareness and love. And I really actually appreciate this aspect of right concentration. So, and the way she interprets it is uh, doing the work with care and intense awareness and love. And I want to bring another aspect of, of this. So, so in, our, um, in, this, in this zeitgeist, we are so distracted. We're on social media, we check our email every few minutes. The habits of our minds are distracted habits of the mind. And some of us might actually think that, well, actually, in many work environments, that's even expected. It's expected to be always online. And it's interesting what kind of a toll that that always being interrupted um, it takes on, on, on our brain, on our mind, on the calmness of the mind. Um, there is a there's a great book I was recently um, actually listening to on, on audiobooks. Um, it's called Deep Work by Cal Newport, and in in that book he um, uh, proposes having periods of uninterrupted work, uninterrupt, so that you can actually have the ability to have deep work not just shallow work. And shallow work, the way he defines it, is, is work that doesn't require a lot of, um, a, lot of um, a lot of thought, you know, kind of answering emails, which are simple, or doing this, or that, just kind of simple tasks. You, you get a sense of what shallow work is like. It's kind of, it doesn't take a lot, of, uh, a lot of mind, a lot of concentration, a lot of heart. It's just kind of, yeah, yeah, you can do it, yeah, 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 yeah. But... But what he, uh, he, he, um, he, he has also offered some evidence for is that when we context switch, and this is known by psychologists, they've done so many uh, experiments on the cost of context switching, that when you switch, even if, say, say you're doing your work um, and you're writing or you're coding or whatever it is that, that needs depth, concentration, needs context, and you you switch to check email, answer email, uh, check Facebook, or whatever it is, there is a residue, there is an attentional residue that um, when you switch for a few seconds is still there, and when you switch back, there is this attentional residue that is still there. And there there have been studies in the lab where when they've had people intentionally context switching, they don't do as well solving the main task. Uh, it takes them much longer, and they, they don't do as well uh, because of the interruptions. So, so finding a way, if it, is at, if it is at all possible, to come up with at least one or two, some uninterrupted periods of time. And, um, and that can actually not be, just be a gift to you, but it can be a gift to your colleagues. Because when one person at a workplace 
has the, the courage and the audacity to say, hey, this is of benefit, this is, you know, this is my uninterrupted deep work period of time, um, then other people will, um, will have, um, will, will take the courage to do that too. So in that way, you'll be serving other people by, by encouraging, by allowing them to do that. In fact, I heard this from, <coughs> excuse me, a practitioner, few retreats ago who told me about this book and, and he had told me that somebody it might have been his manager or someone at work that actually uh, was encouraging was, he, he did it himself taking uninter- periods of time that are uninterrupted to do really deep intense work concentrated work uh, and, um, and other people in the team were doing that too and I thought what a great idea so it's so, so deep work taking time for for uninterrupted work, which, by the way, it can also affect your your mind, your brain, um, in unexpected ways, in wonderful and unexpected ways. So, I don't know if you've already noticed in yourself um, this this sense of addiction that many of us might have developed. I've seen it in myself. There's a sense of addiction of, oh, I want to check my email. Oh, I want to check this. I want to check that. It's just, it's like, ooh, it's really like an addiction because every time I check my email, I know there, 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 um, there's a drip, drip, drip release <laughs> of, 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 a, of a little drug in my brain that gives me a little bit of pleasure, right? Oh, unexpected. Oh, who sent me this email? Oh, what's happening? And, and um, by actually not doing that, for, so for a while I, I, I stopped doing that. And I noticed that in, also in my sitting meditation, there was less uh, distractibility in my mind. My mind didn't want to, oh, go here, oh, check that. There was, there was less seeking novelty. There was less wanting to jump off here and there and everywhere. So, so my daily life habits were conditioning my habits on the cushion in my practice and vice versa. You see what I'm saying? So by actually bringing, um, by bringing some, um, um, how should I put it, by, by, by uh, limiting uh, the use of social media or checking email, just limiting it to particular times instead of doing it frequently, it, it conditions your brain, your mind, on the cushion to be more settled, more stable. Um, and also the same way, sitting on the cushion and observing these patterns of the mind and bringing the mind back instead of, instead of actually like opening your eyes and checking your email in the middle of your, your meditation practice, it actually preconditions your, your mind not to be so flighty and not be so needy for novelty and information, which is not a happy mind. A distracted mind is not a happy mind. A distracted mind is not a happy mind. A mind that is settled and more calm, concentrated, has a lot more happiness. So continuing... Uh, so right concentration means doing work with care and intense awareness and love, and I add undistractability to that. Right action implies doing your work and having no attachment to the result. Oh, I love this one. Non-attachment to outcome. Non-attachment to outcome. That can be a hard one at work. Non-attachment to outcome. Um, and it is part of this practice because there's so many causes and conditions that come to, to create an outcome. And what you do is just one part of it. Um, you don't have responsibility for the whole thing. So, for example, say if you're part of, um, again, uh, example, I'm thinking of Silicon Valley examples, because by the way, that is my background, <laughs> so, so I'll come clean. So, so as many of you may already know, um, my background is in computer science, and I've done research and development in the field for many, many years, for a couple of decades, so that's why the examples are mostly from my own experience. So forgive me if that doesn't appeal to you, but that's... That's my, my experience has been. So, so um, 
speak, coming back to right action and not atta attaching to outcome. Um, say you're working on a product like I did, and and you know, of course, you're it, you're, you're spending your time, you're spending your your blood and soil and tears. You know, your your not blood and soil, your your blood and tears. Not exactly, it's not that bad. But you're spending your time. You know, all, you're waking hours working on something. It becomes your baby. And what if, what if it never makes it, never sees the light of the day, or the project gets completely cancelled? Um, so what, not non-attachment to outcome, non-attachment to outcome, because you've done the best you could have, but there are so many causes and conditions beyond your control that made it. So, so um, how to work with that? How to work with that in a skillful way? I mean, one way the, the non-skillful way would be to become completely um, angry and upset and because it didn't go the way you wanted to. And another way to, to understand that there are a lot of cause and conditions that come to place. And even though the outcome is not what you wanted, but for various reasons is what had to happen. Right effort is about choosing work you can do a whole life keeping yourself in a state of constant learning and beginner's mind. I like that. Constant learning and beginner's mind. An aspect of right effort brought into right livelihood. She finishes by saying, the bottom line is, work that embodies love, devotion, and service is as much an attitude as the actions we take. So in s some ways, again, it, I don't think it matters exactly what we do as long as it's not specifically harmful to the world, as long as we embody. Um, and we try our best to embody and bring in these, these different factors. So... Um, See what else I wanted to add. Oh yeah, I wanted to add a couple of other things, and one is um, this is from Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese Zen teacher. He says, "To practice right livelihood, you have to find a way to earn your living without transgressing your ideals of love and compassion." The way you support yourself can be an expression of your deepest self or it can be a source of suffering for you and others. Our vocation can nourish our understanding and compassion or erode them. We should be awake to the consequences far and near of the way we earn our living. Another interpretation of um, right livelihood so, so I'm offering a lots of different ways, just uh, different interpretations um, along the same lines for your consideration. Um, and the, let me make sure mine is silent. No problem. It was a good reminder for mine. Mine was enough either. Um, so uh, S.N. Goenka, he says, if the intention is to play a useful role in society in order to support oneself, and to help others, then the work one does is right livelihood. And that's a very, very permissive description, right? I'll, I'll read it again. If the intention is to play a useful role in society in order to support oneself and to help others, then the work one does is, is right livelihood. So I'd like to, to offer a Zen koan um, for consideration, um, for consideration at work. So, so the Zen koan goes, a monk asked her teacher, what is the Buddha? And the teacher answered, the cypress tree in the garden. So the description, so what does this mean? And what does the cypress tree have to do with the Buddha, that is, our awakened self? So if you imagine the cypress tree, 
over the path in the monastery garden, it's an interpretation that what's ordinary, what's familiar, which is an aged tree that this monk passes every day for, for his or her whole life, in that sense, the cypress tree is the most familiar thing. And what familiar things do you pass every day in your life, in your work? Is it your kitchen table? Is it your car? Is it your friend? Is it your spouse, your children? Is it your co-worker? Is it the copy machine in the office corner? Is it your computer? What is the most familiar thing that you pass the same way that this monk passes the cypress tree in the garden? How can the ordinary, the familiar, be a reflection of, of the Buddha, your awakened self? So it's a koan. Doesn't, doesn't have to be understood by our thinking mind, but just drop that in. How can the familiar serve as a reflection, as a teacher, as a pointer to your awakened self? The most familiar things, say, in your office environment, your co-workers. So this is about a shift in perspective. And these numerous treasures, these familiar things could be your habits, your commute, your morning commute to your work. It could be your coffee break. It could be your lunch hour. Could be your afternoon meeting. It could be your ride home, evening ride home. And any of these can contain a number of gifts if you see them differently, relate to them differently. It requires a shift in perspective. So the next time you see the familiar, all of these, the familiar, either objects or your routines. Maybe there's, there are the cypress tree in the garden, in your garden. So there are many, many ways to bring in mindfulness and our practice, really, to bring our practice wholeheartedly to our work. There's so many ways. And I've only listed some of them. If you think of the precepts, there's so many ways to bring them in, wise speech, etc. And in this room, there is so much wisdom. There's so many ways you're already being, you're bringing your practice to work. And there are ways in which you can be more creative in doing that. So I'd like to suggest another exercise for us to do. And this one is going to be done in dyads. And actually, well, before I move to that, any questions or any comments about what, I, what I've said so far this morning? I was thinking about the right uh, livelihood categories, and it brought to mind uh, some other categories like uh, Robin Hood. Um, is seems like a an, it might be an ethical dilemma to me to be Robin Hood and and making judgments about who you can rob from and give money to. And then there are other professions um, that are subversive in our culture that I know people who are involved in, uh, like trying to um, infiltrate AI projects in order to convert them to uh, what they seem as more um, beneficial programs and less destructive. So um, I'm wondering about 
what you have to say about making those kind of distinction of spies and other people who are doing things other than what it seems. Yeah. What, 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 is, what do you think? Um, you want me to answer my own question, so... I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm asking your inner wisdom. I'm thinking that it has to do with your attitude, as you were describing, and what your intentions are, but still it involves making judgments, which I guess people do all the time also. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting, without having a specific case uh, to explore together, I think in general, it, it does come back to the intention. What is the intention? And not to completely demote uh, the effect in the world. Um, but I think the intention, in, in this case for me, at this point, as, as I'm sitting with it, you know, ask me later about another project, I might say something different, but at this point it seems like the, the intention has a lot to do with, um, with what you're talking about. What is the intention of this infiltration? Is it just to mess things up, or is it to, to, to bring in more love, compassion, care? That, that's where I, I sit with that right now. Yeah, thank you. But it's interesting. It's complicated. So, okay. So I'm going to invite you to get into groups of two for this one, and ideally with someone you haven't worked with yet. So it's going to be dyads, and it's best if you're sitting on the same level, if you're both either on the floor or you're both on... Um, on a chair will start to show up. So the format is the person who is asking the question will ask, tell me a way you can bring your practice to work. Tell me a way you can bring your practice to work. Tell me a way you can bring your practice to work. Okay? And then, so the per- first person asks, second person answers, and then whatever answer they've given, the first person will say, thank you. And that acknowledgement, thank you, is to close the loop. Okay. So tell me a way you can bring your practice to work. Um, Maybe I can start my meetings with 30 seconds of mindfulness. I actually used to do that when, when I had a group. And then the person will say, Thank you. Tell me a way you can bring your practice to your work. Um, I could, blah, blah, blah. I could sit, you know, or I could do this, or I could, you know, the things that you could do, right? Or the person will ask, tell me a way you can bring your practice to work. I can say, oh, I'm drawing a blank. Nothing, will come, nothing is coming up right now. And the person will say, thank you. Tell me a way you can bring your practice to work. You see how this works? Any questions? Anyone confused about what the format is? Okay. No. So one person asks for the full five minutes. I'll ring the bell and then you switch. I'm going to start with the question here. Let's tell me a way you are bringing your practice to work. Let's start with that. Let tell me a way you're you're bringing your practice to work. You're already doing it. Tell me a way you're bringing your practice to work. Okay? Is that clear? Let, let yourself be surprised by what comes up for you. And drop the question. In. Every time the question is asked of you, let the question be dropped into your body, into your belly, and see what comes up. Don't try to answer it from your head. Just let it be dropped and listen. See what comes up. If nothing comes up, say nothing is coming up. And the person will say, thank you. Tell me a way you're bringing your practice to work. And then let it be dropped in. Take time. This is slow, you guys. This is a slow practice. Okay? Yeah? Any questions? We're good? From here, that sounded pretty rich. There was a lot of... uh, Conversation with a lot of energy. I could, I could hear the energy. So, it'd be lovely to. So this is going to be now a, a part uh, before we break. 
your time's up. Um, before we break for lunch, this is going to be a community conversation, really, not just with me, but what did you learn? What came up for you? What did you discover through this exercise? There's a lot of talking, come on. I, I know there's something there. Yeah. Okay, great. It's, it I think we, the, these exercises are so powerful because um, we, we go through many similar things and when you see somebody that had the courage to do some things like, well, I, I think I could do it too. It, mm. it's, it's getting that support. It's, yes, it's incredible. The, these exercises are incredible. Um, so glad I could talk to Linda. Is wow, that's exactly what's going on. I, I'm gonna find the courage as she did. I think I'll do it. <laughs> Give it the best I can to do it. Great. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much for sharing that. What else? What else did you discover? Yeah. Um, so one thing that was interesting to me is um, I think we've talked about giving. Um, and something that came up during our discussion was that giving, um, I don't think some of us have a trouble giving. Some of us have a trouble with self-care in the workplace and setting boundaries in the workplace. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that came up for me twice, both sort of yeah. uh, when, you know, in the morning discussion as well as now. Yeah. Great. So that balance is hard to achieve sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's really important. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Yeah, and we'll touch into that this afternoon because um, when we talk about challenges this afternoon, um, challenges with other people, and also sometimes challenges with ourselves, <laughs> and that that setting boundaries and self-compassion, really taking care of ourselves and self-metta, self-loving kindness, is a way to like, wait, this is hard. You're saying yes, yes, yes to all these projects and hello, we need to take care of you, dear one. Yeah, so thanks so much for bringing that in. Yeah, great. Uh, what I noticed was the simplicity of bringing the practice into our daily work life. Uh, I think I tend to have this like, grand ideas of like it has to be a certain way and I think what I learned from Cindy was that there's, it's just like very simple things that really make great impact. Yeah. So I really enjoyed that. Great. Thank you. Thank you. What else? Especially if you haven't spoken yet. Uh, one thing I noticed, I like how you use the word timely. That, that one, that one stuck. I figured maybe for other people, it will apply to them. But as soon as you said the word timely, I, I, I think I started thinking about what that meant for me, like at my work. Mm. Great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that reflection. Yeah, timely. Nice. Thank you. What else? Share your wisdom, everyone. Bring it in. Yeah. Um, when we did the exercise in triads, the mindful listening component felt as if I, I was given a new uh, sensory organ mm. to experience the world with. And what kept coming up, not kept coming, but sometimes it was coming up that uh, these thoughts or feelings were projections of my own frustration. Like, I felt something, I felt jealous. Like, but maybe I wouldn't have perceived that as jealousy as a, instead of some sort of dislike of the other person. And it really was me having my own stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, when we were in, in dyads, um, same type of thing. I work with my wife. It's just us two, so. <laughs> um, some of my frustrations are really just frustrations with myself. Mm -hmm. Things I wanted to work on were seemed so easily changed mm -hmm. with the small little steps to make so much more uh, a quality work experience. Yeah. And it was all about me. 
being angry or whatever it is about yeah. somebody else when it's all about my own stuff. So. Yeah. yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that, that awareness, because with mindfulness of the body, when we bring it in, we become aware of what is happening in us and making space for it without judgment, like, wow, this is my stuff, okay, hello, my stuff, hello, I see you, I accept you, yep, yeah, I see what's happening, because if we don't see it, then we're like, oh, that person, this person, we're acting out, instead of really making space for what's in there, so thanks so much for, for sharing that, yeah, it's precious. What else? What else did you discover? What did you notice? As we were talking, the idea of being less judgmental towards others and more, just like you said, focusing on the inner voice and inner energy. And a few great ideas came about as we were discussing, um, like practices, like even short meditations during the day to bring back that kind of ball of light with back within you so that you can be a positive person and project that kind of a positive energy into your environment and around, you know, with your co-workers. Yeah. That's going to be a great help. Yeah. So refreshing yourself through the day by taking little moments of mindfulness if you can. Um, and you know, I'll mention something maybe silly, but you know, if you go to the bathroom, we often these days, many of us, I do that, I take my phone to the bathroom, like what if I left it behind and just took those few couple, you know, minutes, it just, ah, take that as a moment of coming back to myself, okay, coming back to, to what's here right now, making space for it. It doesn't have to be sophisticated or complicated. Somebody else was saying this high, lofty idea of bringing my practice to work or on the high tower. No, it's just simple. It's so simple. Going to the bathroom, walking to the water cooler. Or just that, though, that could be your walking meditation. It's just the five steps to the water cooler. That's it. Or dr- sipping the water with mindfulness, the coolness of it. That's it. That's, that's what can bring you back to this moment. Like, I'm here. I'm so it can be very simple throughout the day. Thank you. What else? What else did you discover? Yeah, please. I think this, uh, this <coughs> practice that you have uh, us go through of asking the same question many, many times, I think we've got to do more of it. You know, I think it'll be very helpful in all areas of our yeah. lives. Uh, I think something really magical happens when the third or the fourth time you ask the same question and you're blank in the beginning, but then more stuff gets discovered. So thank you for teaching us this technique. Thank you. Thank you so much. Isn't it pretty awesome? You know, at first you want to pull your hair out like, you asked me this already. And, but then you go blank and then something magic, just as you said, something magical happens. You drop down. It's pretty cool. I love this practice myself. Thank you. What else? What else did you notice right here? So there's this um, a quote by Viktor Frankl. So um, between stimulus and response, there's a pause. And in the pause is your ability to choose the, your, um, your action to a, s- a certain stimulus. And in that lies your growth. Um, so mindfulness, what it gives us is it gives us the space, so you're not rushing. So um, that is why uh, when you write things down, there's this um, journaling thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you're actually slowing and thinking, mm-hmm. and it can have a profound effect. And they, they say that um, for people who've done a thesis or something like this, it sticks to the end of your lives because you've slowed down, jotted things on paper, um, so this is really the slowing effect. So when you slow down, think again and again and again, things become crystal clear. And that's really what's helping us. Yeah, yeah. And is, is that what you discovered as you were... Yeah, that's, um, so this gave me an opportunity to slow down. Otherwise, by myself, I try to jump ahead to the next step or something else comes in. Um, so this really got me slowed down to think. Great. Great, thank you. Yeah, there was a hand, I think, here. No? Anyone else? Any other thoughts? Yes, over here. 
I love this sharing of, uh, of community wisdom. This is great, group wisdom. Yeah. So um, I guess to kind of echo on that um, last thought, one of the patterns I guess I heard in my own responses and uh, my partner John's responses was this kind of taking a pause and slowing down and, and most of what we thought or what we were doing was actually just pausing and being mindful yeah. and kind of really taking a broader perspective on things, allowing some space yeah. um, to just let things settle and consider them from a you know alternative perspective. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Yeah, and I appreciate these two uh, last comments as as they tie in together because it's both. Um, what arose and what you were doing during the exercise, um, which allowed this, the, the, the reflections to come up from a deeper place. And also, it's a teaching in what you can take to your workplace. Taking a pause in the meeting or in a conversation, just taking that pause. Yeah, thank you. What else? What else did you discover? Yeah, back there. I always thought that uh, there was something more I have to learn. And um, it's interesting when we had the repeated question, I realized all I have to do is listen. After all these years of um, practicing and being at retreats, I'm really good at listening in forums like this. But then when I go back, even when I'm listening, I'm trying to prepare on what I'm going to talk. And what was funny was my partner said that. She said that. I said, you're such a good listener. And then she said, no, no, I'm always preparing on what I'm going to say. And I was like, wow. So there's so much to learn. This simple practice of pausing our own thoughts and yeah. our own chain of thoughts yeah. can change everything, especially our biases, yeah. um, criticism of the other person. And gossip, so many other things will go away if we just listen. Yeah. That's what I realized. Yeah, great. Thank you for that. Yeah, we often, yeah, exactly. We're preparing what we're going to say, how, look, how good we're going to look, and the next thing we're going to say, how intelligent, smart, this, that. You know, It's all about me, 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 me. That's just that's the ego. Hello, ego, I see you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. What else? What else did you realize? Anything else? Any other thoughts, reflections? Yeah, please, um, in front well, here. I think my partner realized... Actually, hold on, hold on one second so that it can get uh, re recorded. Here you go. I, I think that my partner realized how much she actually does her practice at work. Mm. I think that was a. Were you surprised? It seemed like you were. The longer we talked, the more surprised you were. It was like, oh, I already do some of this. Mm, how about that? Sweet. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And that's an interesting thing that can come up also when we're doing this practice. A lot of times, like, wait a minute. How? I already do this thing. I do that. I do bring kindness. I do bring. You know, I do pause, I do this, I do that. So I think I appreciate both of those practices because they, 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 you get to see you're, you're already aligning your intention, your actions with your intention, and there is more room to grow. And both of those are important. Right. Great. Awesome. So with that, let's break for lunch. And uh, it's about almost 10 to 1. Uh, this was so rich. We went a little over time. Sorry to the gurgling stomachs. My apologies. So we'll take about an hour for lunch. We'll c come back about, or maybe we should take an hour and 10 minutes, make a spatial. Yeah, we'll make a spacious lunch. Why not? <laughs> we'll come back at 2 o'clock. And, um, and, and uh, what we usually do is we set up... Uh, 
tables inside and if the weather is good we can set a table maybe outside too for people to to have a community lunch and have a conversation discussion if you like if you've brought your lunch if you haven't brought your lunch there are places nearby you can get your lunch come and ask me and Kristen might know some places too we can give you some pointers where you can go quickly get a lunch if you wanted to or slowly um, and and I was thinking so this afternoon what we're going to do is we're going to turn to challenges working with challenges uh, others, ourselves, etc., working with them. And we'll have some guided meditations and also some um, exercises, practices again. And I thought what I would do with, uh, with what I suggested earlier today with the values, exploration of values, I'll share this with you uh, over lunch. Um, so anyone who wants to take like 10 minutes over lunch to do this exercise, you're welcome to. Um, it, it, it probably takes about 10 minutes, five, five minutes to look over them and circle the, the ones that are important to you and another five minutes to write about them and maybe even discuss it with another person if you find another person who's doing it and has a sheet of paper or maybe make a pact before you go to lunch. Hey, do you want to take the last 10 minutes and do this together? Actually, yeah, do it that way. If you want, make a pact with someone. Hey, last 10 minutes, do you want to do this together? That would be the way. So I'll just hand them out. And um, make it into two parts. I hope there are enough copies. If there aren't, um, please tell us and we'll make more. So half of it here, this side, and half of it the other side. So thanks. So, okay. So, uh, yeah. See you at 2 o'clock. Thank you.